I remember a TV drama, probably not that long ago, actually, and uh, one of the, there was a married couple in there, quite prominent, and every time they uh, kissed, like just kissed goodbye or kissed hello, they would kiss, and then one would turn to the other and say, more please. And they would kiss again, perhaps a little bit more intensely. Now, I liked that. I liked that. I tried it on Kate for a while. I think, <laughs> I think she soon got bored of that. But, uh, but I wonder, have you ever wished you'd ask for more? More pudding, perhaps? More money? More something? Maybe in a, you've been in a situation, maybe at a meal table, where somebody's offered you more and you've politely said, and then the next person to you has said, oh, yes, please. And they've had their plate piled high again, and you're just filled with envy because that's what you wanted to do. I don't know if you've been there. Moses asked for more. And we have that in this story here. You know, Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. We're specifically told that in Numbers chapter 12. Firstly, which is quite an astonishing statement in itself. But it makes this encounter that we've read about, that Debbie's read to us, just all the more remarkable. Is there a bolder prayer in the whole of Scripture? Of course, we have to backtrack a little. I couldn't have the whole of chapter... Uh, go back in chapter 32. You remember Moses, just at the very moment when he was on the mountaintop receiving the holy law from God himself... The people of Israel were down at the bottom of the mountain. They thought Moses was gone for good. They turned to Aaron. They said, you know, basically, give us something to worship. And so they, Aaron made a golden calf for them to bow down to. This, this is just horrendous. Israel, they'd been led out from slavery to, in Egypt, carried out on eagles' wings. The Lord himself says just at the start of uh, giving the law, <coughs> And uh, he had done for them, and now they were turning to other gods. Of course, Moses is livid. There's nothing for things follow, which we are, you know, on the leave through the camp, killing 3,000. Moses, interestingly, Moses could have sided completely with the Lord. After all, he wasn't there. He could have sided with the Lord and just said, yes, Lord, just bring down your anger and wrath on them. He could have done that. He could have watched alongside God as his anger wiped out Israel. But, you know, he obviously loved this fickle people passionately too. And so Moses climbs back up the mountain. And he stands, as it were, over against God and pleads with him for the lives of these sinful, fickle, idolatrous people. Verse 31 there. Um, what a great sin these people have committed. He doesn't downplay their sin at all. They've made themselves gods of golds, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of the book you've written. He's putting his own life on the line for their sakes. And wonderfully, graciously, God confirms Moses' faith by responding. 
but you can threaten. He's not going to go up with them. Okay, I'll lead them up into the promised land as I've promised, uh, as we read at the start of verse chapter 33, with all those names that um, Debbie managed so wonderfully. Um, yes, I'll lead you up, but I'm not going to, I'll, I'll let you go up, but I'm not going to go with you. I'll let you go up and enjoy the land, but I won't go with you. Uh, he's thinking, as the Lord plays this out, he says, well, you know, my, their sinful ingratitude will just drive me to destroy them if I go with them. But that's not good enough for Moses. He won't settle with that. Yes, he'd been given a burning vision of the promised land, and he wanted to get there like everyone else did. But Moses reckoned, what good is the land without the Lord? What good is the land without the Lord? Verses 15 to 16. Uh, see that. And uh, if your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? The blessing without the blesser, that would be empty and hollow. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Now this is interesting because it, it's like the verse after that is as if Moses didn't quite, didn't quite hear him because Moses goes on. If you're pro with us, do not send us up. Don't think so. Don't think so. I think God has been testing Moses' appetite. He's been kind of laying it out. Okay, Moses, what do you really want? Draw him out, drawing him out further. And Moses... Moses wants more. That's what he asks for. As he pleads God's commitment to his people uh, um, back to him, he says, look, you've committed yourself to them. Don't you remember? What will those other people say if you desert them now? He says that to, the, to God. But the Lord's response, as the Lord says, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. The Lord's response makes Moses long for more of this trustworthy God who desires his company, who actually wants to go up with them because that's what he planned all along. And the sin has gone in the way. Do you see how the Lord has led Moses out, tested his desire? What do you really want? So emboldened beyond belief now, Moses finds himself praying. Is there a more astonishing prayer in Scripture? Now, show me your glory. It's like he can't stop himself. It's like it's the obvious next thing to pray for him. Show me your glory. He knows God is holy. He knows also how serious God is about desiring a loving relationship with him and his people. And the more he sees of God, the more he knows it's God he wants. Much more than his promises, much more than the land. It's God he wants. Nothing else will do. So he prays for more. Show me your glory. It might lead to him being burnt up as a result. Moses might even thought that was the likely outcome. But it would be worth it. 
to see God's glory. That is the greatest thing. I wonder where do we stop in our prayers? How far do we go in our prayers? Do you confess your sin in your prayer? I hope you do. Do you ask God to guide you, to show you his ways? That's good if you do that. Do you pray for others? That's excellent. But do your prayers stop there? Or do you go on like Moses? Lord, show me more of yourself. That's what I really want above all else. Above all those other things, I want more of you. My favorite psalm, probably, Psalm 27, verse 8 is glorious. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do you know that? Do you know your heart saying that to you? You know, we talk about obeying God. We talk about worshiping him. We talk about witnessing to him. All of these flow out of our relationship with him. You know, that's why our church vision, which we have before us here, um, starts with knowing Christ. Growing in Christ, going with Christ, showing Christ, all follows on and then it goes around in a loop because as we do those things, we find he shows us more of himself. Um, but, you know, sometimes we struggle on with those other things, trying to, trying to find a way of growing, trying to find a way of witnessing to him trying to find a way of being obedient to him without actually seeking him, without actually intentionally lingering in his presence and asking for more, without actually enjoying the relationship that is the wellspring of all else. Paul said it, didn't he, famously? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Uh, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might get, gain Christ. I want to know Christ, he said. That was his driving force. And look at Jesus' own words. Look at how he defines eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you. He's praying to God. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, it's not that we want eternal life, and the way to get that is to know Jesus. It is that knowing the Lord is precisely what eternal life is. That's its fundamental definition, according to Jesus. Why settle for less? Well, we often do, don't we? We do. We know we do. In our Christian lives, we, we seek God's blessing his gifts may be, if we, sometimes we just get distracted from those things too. But we seek God's blessings and his gifts. The real privilege of the Christian is that of knowing God. Psalm 37 verse 4. Uh, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people uh, will treat this as carte blanche. This means we can ask for whatever we like, we'll, we'll get it. Put the Aston Martin on order the beach house, the dream job, it's all yours. Just ask for it. Here's the thing. 
if you are truly delighting in the Lord. What's the desire of your heart? Actually, the Aston Martin seems pretty paltry. The beach house, nice, but, you know, all that upkeep, worry. If you're truly delighting in the Lord, the desire of your heart is him, isn't it? So that's what you'll ask for. And that's what he'll give you, more of him. Don't stop at seeking his blessing, seek him. Now he promises, you see, will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that takes a lifetime. And we'll see about that in a moment. But uh, C.S. Lewis famously, perhaps his famous ever quote, I don't know. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. Infinite joy is offered us. We go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. But you say, you know, you, you talk about seeking God, but there's so much to be done in the world. There's so much serving to do. There's so much helping others to do. And we should be up and doing, not just praying, show me your glory. Let's get stuck in and do stuff. Well, yes, there's plenty to do. And there's certainly no room, is there, for a complacent withdrawal from the world. I don't think that, I hope that's not what you're hearing me talk about. Here's the truth. The more we seek him, and the more we respond to his leading, the more he shows us. This is Jesus. Jesus said this. Uh, whoever has my commands, this is John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. There's a dynamic between seeing something of the Lord, responding as he prompts us, obeying his commands as an expression of our love, and then as we obey, he shows us more. And he prompts us to respond more. And so we obey more. We step out more. And so he shows us more. And we see this, these, see this even in Exodus 33. Um, Moses says, you have said, this is verse uh, 12. I know you, you have said, the Lord has said, I know you by name, you found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. So again, you have that same spiral going up. Teach me your way so I may know you, so I can find favor with you by doing your will, and so you can show me more of you. That's the dynamic we find ourselves in. But a life of faithful activity cannot be sustained without the wellspring of knowing the Lord. Sometimes people say, you know, he's done so much for me, now it's time for me to repay him. Words to that effect. Have you ever heard people say that? Perhaps you found yourself saying that. Friend, I'll be honest with you, that cannot be done. Can't be done. <laughs> it's dangerous to think like that, actually, because even that response of yours to want to repay it, that's the work of him in his spirit in your life. John Piper famously said, we can never get off the divine dole with God. We're always received the blesser and we are always the blessed. Yes, we give our lives in response. Yes, we offer up our lives as a sacrifice, but that's just a response to what he's done for us. And that in itself is the response of the Spirit working through us, so it's all the Lord's work. So only ever 
the work of his spirit in us anyway. Whether you've been a Christian 50 minutes or 50 years, the plea is still the same, isn't it? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We bring him most honour by not trying to pay him back, but by reveling in knowing him and then responding to his prompts. We glorify him by enjoying him forever, as we've heard something like that earlier. We glorify him by enjoying him forever. This is how it works. I'm sure you've noticed you enjoy a good film, you talk about it to your mates. The renown of that film is enhanced. Those other people may not have seen the film, but they begin to think more of it because they've heard you talk about it. Or maybe it's your favourite footballer or whoever it might be. I know absolutely nothing about opera. I don't. But I do know that Wagner has written some of the greatest operas ever. How do I know that? Because those who know operas, at least some of them, enthuse about them. People who know give glory to those things by talking them up. What do empty nesters like me talk about? Well, yes, we talk on and on about our kids because we delight in them and we think they're wonderful. And if you're a grandparent, man, you're even worse. This is how it works. We're always ready to communicate what gives us great delight to others, aren't we? I went, I, you, know, you know, I love walking. I went on a walk on Friday. I saw, conservative estimate, 20 hares. Hares, 20 hares. Amazing. Whoa, what a blessing that was to me. I love hares. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Isn't the countryside wonderful? So we talk about these things. I just thought I'd drop that in. But uh, it's the same with God. His fame, his glory, as we revel in him, as it shines out of us, as we enthuse about it to others, his glory grows. That's how it works. We see that later, actually. Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. Imagine that. Moses' face shone with the glory of the Lord. The more we meet with him, the more we gaze on him, the more our faces shine too. So here's the challenge. Are we seeking him in our prayers? Or are we stopping at the end of our list of requests? Now, I, I don't want to knock prayer lists. They're great, they're important, they're helpful. But please, let not that be the end of our prayers. Moses' great desire was to see the Lord's glory. Does that thought make you tingle? See more of the Lord. Does your heart long for this? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great preacher back in the 20th century, he used to say, if a man tells you he does not like Beethoven, tells you nothing about Beethoven, tells you quite a lot about that man. If your heart does not tingle at the thought of seeing the more of the glory of the Lord, tells you nothing about the Lord, tells you more about where your heart is. Because surely if we truly know him, we've just had a glimpse of Jesus, don't we long for more? 
there's a warning here. This is a dangerous thing. This is dangerous, what we're talking about. Verses 5 to 7, the Lord answers. Uh, this is in chapter 4, of course. But he said, you know, you can't see my face and live. He's, you are hide you in the cleft in the rock. That's what he said. And, and so he, he does that. And he, his glory passes by and he, he announces, proclaims his glorious name in that, in that way. And earlier we've read, we've read that um, he said, you cannot see my face. No one may see my face and live. And the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And my glory passes by. I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. God knows um, Moses can only bear to see the fringe of his glory, of radiance. Like seeing the glow of the sun after it's set. He couldn't take any more of that. He wouldn't be able to. Amazingly, Paul in the New Testament tells us this. God who said, let, shine, let light shine out of darkness, make his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's astonishing. Because he's telling us that we, in Christ, we can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in his face no one can see my face and live, he said to Moses. Now Paul says this. Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension make this possible for us. Christ mediates God's glory to us to a greater potential, dare I say this, to a greater potential than even Moses knew then. Is that possible? Moses had to be hidden in a cleft, whereas in Christ we gaze as much as we desire to, into his face. If you are not gazing into his face, it's not God's fault. It's not God holding it back, holding you back. The only person who's responsible for that is you. It is. You can do that in Christ. The question is, how much do we desire this? But you know, the warning is, the Lord is not a tame God. He is not. His glory, you know that word glory in Hebrew means weight. means heft. It's substantial. It's no light and airy fleeting thing. It's weighty. And if you want to encounter God's glory, that will be a weighty encounter. He hasn't changed. He is still a consuming fire. And there is a real threat to the Israelites throughout this episode, and that threat is God himself. You know, we're sickened at the thought of those Levites striding through the camp, striking people down, and, and rightly so. Moses understood that the horror of Israel's sin was far greater than that. Such sin angers God, and he cannot bear to look on it. And so here's the warning. To seek his glory means drawing close to a consuming fire. And if we do that, we should expect our dross to be burnt off, our rubbish. Bit by bit, our sinfulness must go. And that will be painful. But we cannot live closely with God and not be transformed. We cannot live closely with God and hang on to our sin. 
Similarly, if we are truly to pray, show us your glory, he may well need to take our attention off some other things, some other things that distract us. Other stabilizers, you know those stabilizer bikes we used to ride? They're great. I remember watching a, a lad up in uh, Woolton Park in Nottingham running, rushing around up and down the slopes on his stabilizer, having a great time. And then after a while, his dad beckoned him to him. And he got off his bike and he bent down. His dad took out a screwdriver and started to remove the stabilizer. That little boy, wow, did he make a fuss. He shouted, he screamed. His whole security was being threatened. Here's the truth. That boy really wanted to learn to ride a bike. Stabilizers, they've got to go. And we have stabilizers in our lives, and sometimes our security stays in the stabilizers rather than the Lord, and sometimes they've got to be removed because they're holding us back. The things we begin to value more than him, they may not be in themselves sinful or wrong, but we may start to value them more, and sometimes he has to remove them. It can be painful, very painful. Robert Murray McShaney said, a dark hour makes Jesus bright, and to see his glory, other lights may have to be dimmed. There's a wonderful old hymn of John Newton. We don't hardly ever sing it because, you know, it's not very happy-clappy, frankly. It's sobering, but it's deep. It goes like this. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favoured hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my goods and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free. And break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. This is not something to be prayed lightly. And you know, he may hide himself too. Um, perhaps you know that. You know you're praying, Lord, show me your face. But he's hiding himself. He does this. Uh, sometimes he seems remote. He seems hidden away. Um, at which point we often stop seeking. We go, that's it, he's not really there. Or at least he doesn't really care about me. Or I just can't, I can't go on putting my heart out there. It's too painful. But you know, this is often the Lord's way. In Christ, he never leaves us, of course not. But he may withdraw a sense of his presence to test how much we really want him. Just as he drew Moses out on the mountaintop, he tests how hard. Will we seek him? 
There's an excellent book by Julian Hardy. Money happens to be a mate of mine. I better just say that so that, you know, you take it with a pinch of salt or whatever. It's a very good book. I don't often say that about mates of mine. It's an excellent book. Julian Hardyman, the Jesus lover of my soul. He says our relationship with the Lord seems to go in cycles. He talks about a repeated experience of desiring God, of realizing we're dry and we need to be drenched, realizing we're spiritually hungry and we need to be fed, realizing we're distracted and need to be focused, realizing we're frazzled and need to be given his peace. Do you know that? Do you, know? you do, don't you? If you've walked with the Lord any length of time, you know what he's talking about. And his point is we shouldn't be surprised at this repeating pattern because it's the way the Lord draws us on. And actually it's not so much a cycle as a spiral. He quotes Ellen Davis, God never fully satisfies us in this world but instead constantly stretches our desire towards heaven. Not satisfaction, but the expansion of holy desire is the surest proof of God's presence with us. Isn't that interesting? It's actually that longing that is the proof of God's presence, not, not the feeling that you may feel he's far away. It's the longing for him. Hardyman goes on. In other words... It's not just about feeling spiritually great. It's about wanting more and more and more and being aware of the gap. Letting Christ himself do whatever it takes to clear the space for more of him. And that can be painful. Ellen Davis again. The art of the spiritual life is the art of learning to live with longing and to follow that longing actually. Harnessing that longing, says Hardiman, that sense of absence to drive us to open ourselves up more to him, to whatever he wants to give us. Do you know that? Do you recognize that? If you love the Lord, surely you do. And if you don't, maybe, are you loving the Lord? Are you, have you given your life to him? Do you sense him calling you? Do you sense the beginning of your longing? This is the most wonderful thing. This is what you were made for. Don't turn your back on this. And today is the day, now is the day of your salvation. Turn to him today. But if you have turned to him and you know this longing, lean into it. Lean into it, follow it, pursue it. Moses knew it deeply in his soul. Now, show me your glory. Let's pray. Lord God, this is awesome. This is holy. This is sacred. Moses standing on the mountaintop so close to almighty, magnificent, majestic, holy, the God who is completely other, a consuming fire, and saying, show me your glory. Lord, hear our hearts this morning.
pray, the one thing I pray is that we will not hear you speak to us today and then go away and forget about it the rest of the week. Help us not to do that, Lord, by your spirit. Stir us up and then push us and push us and prompt us to respond, to go on seeking you, even when we don't feel you, even when you seem a mile, uh, many, many miles distant, even when there are obstacles in our way, even when you're wondering, why have you done that, Lord? We may not understand, but help us not to just put this to bed and forget about it. Lord, give us more, please give us more. 